0: Amen. Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of John, the gospel of John. We're going to be in the eighth chapter tonight and we're kind of concluding this little sermon series that we've been on on Sunday nights dealing with grace and truth. We've caught it the right tension. Uh, I had a biology teacher and she didn't put up with cheating. Okay. Now this story doesn't involve me cheating. I probably wouldn't even tell you the story. And nah, I'm just kidding. But there was this kid in my I, I'm not going to tell you his name either. I hope you're watching. And this boy, he, he was a cheater. And what would happen? It was Miss Turner. It was 10th grade biology at Southside High School. And what Miss Turner would do is, say, if you had tests on Friday she would give you basically give you the test on Thursday. She would go over it, line by line, question by question, you know, multiple, whatever it is, just write through it, she'd give you your study notes, then the next day you would have the test. Well, this was just too much temptation for some people. And so I remember the first time he got busted cheating, he's in there cheating, and Ms. Turner comes by and gets on to him, and uh, takes his test up, you know, threatens to give him a zero, and then she later let him take the test you know, in a different version of the test and get a grade. And next time test rolls around, that temptation was just too close and too great to him. I mean, he was just, he couldn't say no. And this time he'd wrote all the answers down on the bottom of his shoe. So this guy and his shoe had to go to the office and, and uh, you know, gave him a zero, but then relented and let him take another version of the test, didn't want him to fail. And then the next time, he wrote the answers on his arm. She showed some grace then. And then the next time, he wrote the answers on the smallest piece of paper ever made. And he would need a a magnifying glass to read everything he put on this little piece of paper. And then she got got a hold of him that time. And that's when this guy, he got a little truth. And uh, he he was sent to the office again. And this time, instead of retaking the test, he got a zero. And not only did he get a zero, she went back and gave him a zero for every test he had cheated on, which means all the tests that we had taken. He got caught every time. Now, there's one thing about getting busted, but it's another thing getting busted red-handed, isn't it? Knowing that you did something wrong, but it's different when somebody catches you doing something wrong. And again, we're we're talking about grace and truth, and here's what one of the disciples, one of the closest men to Jesus said about Jesus, this is what we're basing the whole series on, in John chapter 1 verse 14, it's in your notes, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, and what we talked about in the weeks leading up to this, is sometimes we go to one extreme or the other, right, often we're full of grace or we're full of truth, but we're not full of grace and truth, some of you, your parents, maybe you had a mama, mama was Mrs. Grace, but daddy was Mr. Truth. Okay? You understand what I'm... And that's how we were with my kids. I was Mr. Truth, and, and Alicia was Mrs. Grace. When we have them babies, I'm going to be Mr. Grace, and I'm going to make Granny Alicia be Mrs. Truth for a while and see how she likes it. Sometimes churches tend to go too far, right? Churches go too far. They're either all truth and no grace, or they're all grace and there's no truth that's presented. And my desire for us as individuals and as a church is we're going to be filled with grace and truth. Grace and truth. And we've looked at the situation where Jesus was all grace. We did that a couple weeks ago. We looked at a situation where Jesus was bringing the truth, and today we're going to see the perfect example of grace and truth in this one moment that John is going to show to us. It's a woman, much like that boy in biology, that was caught red-handed in adultery. She was caught She was caught in the very act, and she's ashamed, and she's afraid. She's afraid because she's been caught with a man who is not her husband, and she's afraid because she knew there was consequences for being caught in such an act. Now, uh, regardless of where you are spiritually or morally, you can see yourself in this story. I often caution about reading yourself into the text too much because often we read ourselves into the wrong characters. Right? You can see yourself in this story somewhere. If you're way into truth at the expense of grace, this has got something for you. If you're way into grace and and being nice at the expense of truth, this has got something for you. If you're into tolerance and you think that sin is just an ugly three-letter word, this has got something for you, right? Wherever you find yourself, this is a wonderful story. So we're going to start the story, grace and truth, perfect harmony, but take some notes first. Number one, write this down. First thing we're going to look at is the fact that truth shows us the reality of sin. Truth shows us the reality of sin. Now this is where the story takes place. John chapter eight and verse number two. It says, now early in the morning, he came again into the temple. Now okay, this took place in the temple. Literally the, the outer courts is where it would happen. And in that day, people would gather and all the rabbis and the teachers would teach on, on the law and things like that. It was a normal thing where people would gather to hear scripture and all those things. And it says, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. That's what Jesus is doing. Right? So you're going to witness something that happened in basically a church service. I don't know if it's ever happened before and I hope it's never happened since. Okay? Look at verse number three. It says, then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? Okay, pause. Different sermon. Listen, what I love is how these guys are always appealing to Moses, right? And they're like, we're, 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 we're Abraham's children. We belong to Moses. We don't know who you are, Jesus. And then Jesus said, hey, listen, if you believe Moses, you believe me. If you really did belong to Moses, if Moses really was your spiritual forefather, right? Because he rejoiced in my day, seeing the day that I was going to come and arrive on the scene. But you don't recognize me. And ultimately what Jesus is saying, you don't really believe Moses like you say you do. Some of the biggest religious um, Pharisees, hypocrites, and the most legalistic people don't actually believe it like they say they do. All right, that sermon's over. Back. And so all these religious leaders, all these Pharisees and these religious lawyers, they interrupt the service, they drag this woman across the pavement, they throw her down at the feet of Jesus, and literally accuse her of committing a felony against the Jewish law. That's basically what's happened. This is the Jewish Gestapo. These are the experts at spitting truth and killing grace every time they showed up. And this time they've got an airtight case open and shut. She had literally been caught in the act. Now, uh, we got... You may not have been caught in this, but can we all be honest? We've all been busted before, right? You've been caught doing something wrong, right? Uh, There was a a mother that was teaching her son how to read a non-digital clock, right? An actual clock with hands and all that. And she was working with them, teaching them how to learn how to tell time on a regular clock. And so she decided to test them. She sent them into the kitchen. They had a regular non-digital clock hanging in the kitchen. And, then she, and she was going to test him to see if he could tell her what time it was. And she's like, Johnny, can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. She said, tell me what the little hand is on. And he said, a chocolate chip cookie. Amen? <laughs> I, I just love that joke, man. I do. Little kids hold on themselves. Right? Listen, this woman had her hand literally caught and the adultery cookie jar, if you will. Right? Which begs the question, what were a bunch of religious lawyers and Pharisees doing in somebody else's bedroom or seeing this, whatever's going on there? But That's, that's pretty gross as well. Uh, but this woman is just a pawn in a chess game, and the point of the whole game is to get Jesus. That has nothing to do with her. She can die. They don't care as long as they get Jesus, right? Look at verse 6. It says, This they said, testing him that they might have something of which... Uh, of which to accuse him that's why right now what what makes this a gotcha question why is this such a big deal right if jesus forgave the woman right per se he'd be breaking god's law because it was plain according to jewish law that she should be stoned but if he condemned the woman and he stoned her to death he'd be breaking the governmental law the roman law which said nobody can condemn anybody to death except us Well, there's actually three things at stake. Look at this next one. The first one is this. The law of Moses is at stake. Is it the law or is it not? Is it true or is it not? That law is very plain about what the penalty for adultery was. Look at the next slide. The life of this woman is at stake, right? Her very life is hanging in the balance. And those guys didn't care anything about her. Now look at the next slide. And the love of Jesus is at stake. Oh, Jesus loves sinners. That's what they say. He just stoned that woman to death right? He's just another Pharisee. He's just another legalistic Pharisee. All that grace stuff just goes out the window. So what does Jesus do? Look at verse 6. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Now, why did he he stoop and why was he writing? I'm asking because I don't know. I mean, it's the only time we read in the Bible that Jesus ever wrote anything. And uh, some people try to answer the question about what he wrote. Well, they just don't know. They're just guessing. They're just making it up, right? Let me see if I can do it. Go big orange. I mean, you don't know. He didn't write that. Maybe he was writing grace and truth, right? I've heard a preacher say that he was writing out the names of some of the women that some of these men had been with when they committed adultery. Things like that. I've heard, all, I heard he was writing from the... It's all conjecture. Nobody knows what Jesus was writing at this moment. Nobody knows, Right? But they're building their case against Jesus, and Jesus is building his case against them. Jesus always turns the table. He either flips them or he turns them, okay? Look at this next slide. Instead of passing judgment on the woman, he passes judgment on the judges. He passes judgment on the judges. Look at verse 7. It says, so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. I mean, this is a stunning turn of events. Now, you know this story, so don't be too casual with it. This is an amazing, stunning turn of events. Matter of fact, um, uh, Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of Christ, they did a little thing. Watch this. Check this clip out. Cut those lights off for me, guys. I mean, that's a pretty good depiction of what happened there, that example. All of a sudden, truth has forced these hypocritical, legalistic Pharisees who drug this woman out at the risk of her losing her life so they could get at Jesus and forced them to stop looking at her sin and start looking at their sin. And once they saw their sin, they decided they had somewhere to be. They didn't want to be there anymore. And it kind of drives home this point. Look at this next slide. No one is without sin, man. We talk about it all the time. I think some Baptists forget about it sometimes. Look at the next slide. And except for the grace of God, we can always be in another person's place, right? Whenever you hear hear about somebody that had some kind of a moral failure or or they failed, stumbled somehow morally, they compromised some area in their life, look, there before the grace of God go I, right? That could be any of us. But the story doesn't end there. Man, truth shows us about sin. But number two, write this down. Grace shows us redemption from sin. So we've got truth. There's sin, man, and sin is real. But then there's grace. And grace shows us that we have redemption from sin. Jesus has a way of kind of clearing the field. You know, look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience. God has given everybody a conscience. Now we may sear our consciousness, right? But apart from Christ, apart from God, when you were born, you've never even get saved. God gave you that little part in your heart, in your life, right? That this conscience, conscience with knowledge. He's given you knowledge. Some things are right. Some things are wrong. You don't even have to be taught these things. Some things are right. Some things are wrong. And these guys, they were convicted by their conscience. You notice it doesn't say the Holy Spirit. You want to know why? They ain't got None. Right. Of course, we know the Holy Spirit hasn't come down at this point, but still, the, the point is clear. They're convicted by their conscience. Went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Nobody left. Apparently, even the little, the little Sunday Bible school, little Bible class that Jesus was teaching, they all left too. They're like, he's calling people sins out. I'm leaving. I'm not sticking around for that. And all that's left is Jesus, basically, and this adulterous woman. But she's not out of the woods yet. The facts haven't changed. The truth hasn't changed. She has been caught. Her reputation's ruined. She's going to have that scarlet A on her for the rest of her life. Whenever she goes out in public, heads are going to turn. You know she's that woman, right? And it's not even hearsay. And it's not like, don't judge me, bro. It's not even gossip. This is a fact. It's true. She did it. And everybody knows it, right? The video is playing on social media. And it's got a million views. She's guilty, and everybody knows it. The Pharisees know it, the lawyers, the scribes, they know it, she knows it, and Jesus knows it. And when you think about it, when you get to this scene, when they all leave, and it's Jesus and her, and she's standing in right there in front of Christ, there probably has never been two people more different standing that close to each other in the history of the world. I mean, she's guilty, and he's guiltless. She's caught red-handed. His hands were never nothing but clean right? She's broken God's law. He wrote it. Two people couldn't be more different than Jesus and this adulterous woman. You might want to say she went from the frying pan into the fire because while she is probably afraid of those stones, right? I mean, honestly, the God, the creator, the one who wrote the law that she broke is standing right there. And so she's braced for hurricane winds of judgment, but man, she gets grace. Look at verse 10. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, I just, I just love the picture, by, and, and um, we have the DVD the Gospel of John. Anyway, um, I just love the fact he wasn't even looking at him. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't even, you know, you without sin, cast the first stone. He went back to doodling. He's not even looking because he knows what's about to happen. Jesus raised himself up, saw no one but the woman. He said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has, none, and has no one condemned you? Verse 11, she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Now, wait right there. That's, by the way, he calls her woman. I accidentally called my wife woman Wednesday night in the Bible study. Talking about when she gave birth to one of them babies. And I said, and that woman was laying there? And I said, well, I mean Alicia, my beloved bride. My, my, my prime rib. <laughs> right? I mean, my, that's my... That's my baby mama, the love of my life, that woman. Uh, Diane, my mother-in-law, wasn't here, so I couldn't throw jokes at her all night, and then Alicia just (laughs) called a woman out of nowhere. But but when we say it now, it sounds kind of derogatory. You know, woman, right? Doesn't that, you know, especially how you say it, woman. In Jesus' day, when he's saying this to her, when he's saying woman, remember when Jesus is on the cross, right, and he's handing his mother over to the disciple, and he's saying, right? He's saying, woman, your son, son, you know, that part. he's saying woman there. And the reason is that was a term of endearment in Jesus's day. This word that's translated in your new Testament, uh, is a word of endearment, Like when you say lady today, like, you know, oh, she's a nice lady. You know, you say, ma'am, could you come here? That's what this word woman is in the new Testament. So Wednesday night, when I said woman to Alicia, I've just been extremely respectful y'all. Okay. I'm a new Testament Christian. But he's saying this to her. He's like, he literally calls her lady. Can you imagine when the last time this adulterous woman, anybody called her a lady? And here Jesus is, is doing something amazing. Look at this next slide. The ones that were unqualified to condemn her couldn't. And the one who was qualified to condemn her didn't. Right? But yet we take a lot of times on our own. We condemn people as if we're qualified. And what this woman thought was going to be the worst day, perhaps the last day, turned out to be the best day of her life. I mean, she looked at the hands of Jesus. Jesus' hands are empty. He doesn't have any rocks, right? But one hand is full of truth and one hand is full of grace, man. And understand what's going on here isn't a just get-out-of-jail-free car because forgiveness is never free. We've been talking about that in the mornings. The reason why Jesus didn't condemn this woman for uh, her sin was because he was about to go to the cross And be condemned for this woman's sin. Let me say that again. The reason why Jesus did not condemn this woman is because he was about to go to the cross and be condemned for this woman. God's law is clear when it says that we all deserve death because of our sin. And Jesus died for all sin. If you ever wonder, by the way, how God reacts when you mess up and you blow it. Or what God says when you fess up that you messed up. You should Hear those words at the end of that verse, neither do I condemn you, when you have a relationship with Christ. Now, if the story was written today, it would just end right there, wouldn't it? Where are those who who condemn you? Well, there's none, Lord. Neither do I condemn you. And right that would just be the end of the story. And that's how our culture today would like for it to end. That's how our society would like for it to end. No condemnation. I'm okay. You're okay. We're okay. But the story doesn't end there. Number three, write this down. Grace and truth will always lead to repentance. Grace and truth will always lead to repentance of sin. Now you see this there in your Bible. Look at verse 11. The last words he said to her, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Without that last statement, this would have been a story about grace and no truth. And then once this last statement comes out, now it's a story about grace and truth. He said, go and sin no more, right? He wasn't giving grace at the expense of truth. He wasn't compromising the truth, right? You, you've heard the saying, God you know, hates sin but loves the sinner. That's a theologically true statement. Look at this next slide. I want you to understand this. The woman's sin is forgiven, but it's not excused. The woman's sin is absolutely forgiven, but it's not excused. It's not ignored. Jesus isn't winking at this sin. He isn't ignoring the sin. sin. He's not sticking his head in the sand pretending like he doesn't see the sin. It's not excused. Right? The story doesn't end with the moral of the story is we cannot call wrong, wrong. Right? We cannot judge sinful behavior, sinful action. Uh, Jesus isn't saying only sinless, only perfect people can call out sin. That's not what he's saying. If you're waiting for perfect people to deal out justice, we couldn't have a judge in this country. The truth is we have not only the right to condemn whatever God's word condemns, we have the responsibility to do it. We've got to stand on truth, man, but we do it with grace. right? We're not to judge the thief, but we we do judge uh, his stealing. We don't judge the liar, but we do judge the lying. We don't judge the adulterer, but we do judge adultery. Condemning sin is not what people think of when they think of judging sin. Now, notice the grace in the statement. Jesus didn't say, and I this, he didn't say, if you will go and sin no more, I will not condemn you. There was no condition there. Like, if you'll promise to be good, then I won't condemn you. If you guarantee me from now on, you'll be perfect, I won't condemn you. What he basically says is, I don't, so you don't. I don't, so you don't, right? I don't condemn you, so go and leave your sin." Here's what, look at this next slide. This is what a lot of people want Jesus to say. I put Dwight Schrute up there because I thought that was funny. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin some more. That's what a lot of people hear when they hear about grace in Scripture. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin some more. I'm saved by grace, man. I have the security of the believer. It just gives me a license to sin. When Jesus offers grace, it's always with truth Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The biblical word for that is repentance, to repent. When you you turn to God and receive his offer of grace, what you're doing is accepting his judgment of truth about your sin. It takes grace and truth for you to repent and turn to Christ. You accept the truth about what God says is sin and who you are. When you accept that truth and you acknowledge that truth, it's only then that you can turn and receive the grace. It's grace and truth. We're living in a culture today that tells us it's wrong to say something is wrong. I've been ranting about that for weeks on Sunday morning. But if you refuse to condemn what God condemns, you're neither loving nor graceful. To not condemn what God condemns isn't loving or graceful. It's it's being a coward, a coward. Look at this next slide. God gave us a voice to speak grace and truth. If we don't use our voice for both, we're going to lose our voice for either. We lose both of them. Let me make it clear. As a church, we don't want to be one of those churches that's full of truth and no grace. We don't want to be, right, just preaching about hell like we're happy people are going. All right? We don't want to be the church that's all grace and no truth. Right? Go and send some more. Right? We want to be balanced. As a church, we should be known about what we're for more than what we're known for, what we're against. Does that make sense? People should know what we're for, not necessarily what we're against. But when you stand for truth, it's automatically going to put you against something. That's how it works. Now, we don't know this woman's name, but I'm glad we know her story. Because this is the best balance of grace and truth, I believe, that we find in Scripture. Scripture. And what's sad is too many unbelievers only know two kinds of believers, the gracers and the truthers. They're either all grace and no truth, or they're all truth and no grace. What we need to be is like Jesus. And what we talked about before is when Marcus is like Christ, I told you about it it several weeks ago, I was preaching a sermon and... um, I forget what was going on, but Marcus was full of Marcus and not necessarily full of Jesus. So in the 8 a.m. service, they got a whole lot of truth and not so much grace. But then I had that hour in between the services, had me a little time, had a little talk with Jesus, and you know, and so and then and then by the time that 10:15 service rolled around, I was more full of Jesus than I was Marcus, and that service got the grace, got grace and truth. But sometimes when you're full of yourself, that's when you're full of truth is coming out. Right? All truth. It's almost an arrogance that will come out. And then sometimes being full of ourselves and not Christ, it's all grace and everything's fine and and we're living in this fantasy world where there's not an eternity where we're going to answer. Too many times we're just full of one or the other. We need to be balanced, have that right tension in our life between grace and truth. The right way. Redemption. Where there's redemption, it leads to repentance. There's the... I forgive your sin and the now go and sin no more. And so the question is, are you willing to live a life that's full of grace and truth? Are you willing to go and sin no more? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, Lord, for your grace and for your truth. God, I am so grateful that you've revealed your truth to us through your word, that we can see clearly who we are, God, and how we come so short of your perfect Righteous standard, I my mean, God. At the same time, I'm thank you, thank you, thank you for your grace, for your mercy, and for your love. Let's. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You're here tonight, and um, I mean you're a believer, man. I, I just hope that your prayer right now during this time of invitation, Lord, grace, 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 truth, truth, truth. We need both. We need both. But sometimes, I don't know, maybe we're we're lacking in grace. Maybe we're lacking in truth, but we need both. And when we're full of Jesus, he's full of grace and truth. And we will be too. Surrender to that. Ask him to help you. Right? To have the courage to stand on the truth, but to do it with grace. And maybe you're here tonight and we're talking about this grace and truth. And we're talking about this woman called an adultery. And we're talking about the fact... That Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. And you realize you've not had your sins forgiven. You've never prayed to receive Christ. You've never repented. You've never accepted. You've never acknowledged the truth of what God says. You're a sinner and you can't save yourself. And so right now, you want to turn from your sin and trust Christ. Why don't you do it? You can pray a prayer like this. You don't, again, you know it's not the words. It's just you surrendering to God. His grace, His love, His mercy, and accepting His truth. Why don't you pray a prayer like this? You can say, Father God, I'm a sinner. I sin. I know I sin. I'm like that woman. I haven't been caught, but I'm a sinner. Lord, I repent. I turn from my sin, and I turn to Jesus. Save me, Jesus. I'm putting my faith in your death, burial, and resurrection. God, I believe it. It's true. You're freely offering your grace. your salvation, your death, burial, and resurrection for my salvation. Save me, Jesus. I need grace. Listen, you pray a prayer like that. God's given you the Holy Spirit, resurrection power in your life. And first time in your life you can actually walk like Christ. You'll have that grace and truth and forgiveness. I want to encourage you. Maybe you need to come and make that decision public tonight. Maybe you need to be baptized to walk in obedience. Maybe your baptism is on the wrong side of your salvation. Maybe God has spoken to you and you know that this is your church family, this is your home. You can come and do that tonight. But whatever we do, during this invitation tonight, between you and the Lord, let's have some grace and truth. Father God, we surrender this invitation to you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? Just as I have